Tov. Um, today's doc is in Gimel. We pick up at the bottom of Nun Betamazet, and we're in the middle of discussing the Simchas Beit Hashoeva, and we're about ten lines from the bottom. Tana, Gofad Shemanor Hamishi Mama, we're talking about the height of the candelabrums that they had in order to um, light for the um, Simchas Beit Hashoeva. These huge candelabrums, 50 amos tall, like the uh, tree from which they hung Haman, I guess. So, and it says that there were four uh, young uh, Kohanim who would go up on four ladders, and each one, it says, and the four young uh, um, and then the last page, four young men of the Kohanim, uh, and carrying uh, pitchers of 120 log, which we figured out was how many gallons? I don't know. 13, 14. 13, 14 gallons. So Ibai Lu says, they asked the question, ah, that would make it a little bit more reasonable. Was it 120 log per person or for, or, or, or for all of them together? Also, that all of them together would be more reasonable. It would only be about uh, 40 log per person. Maybe about three, four gallons, uh, five gallons at most. That would be manageable. Tashma come here. We have a writer that says that each one only had 30 log. So the 120 was the sum total. Okay, so that makes it manageable. Which all combined is 120 log. They were more praiseworthy, but it means like stronger here in the specific context, than the daughter of Mirta Bafaisos. Um, they said about the daughter of Mirta, of Mirta the daughter of Baisos. Shahaya noto shte yerechot. Did I say the daughter? Uh, I meant the son. Excuse me. Ben Shell. Excuse me. Yosmi bina the son of Mirta bas Baisos. Amulah bina shel Mirta bas Baisos. Said about the son of Mirta, the daughter of Baisos. So, right, the mother, the woman is in the middle here. Shahaya noto shte yerechot shel shogadol. He would take to the two sides of a huge ox. Shalakuach to Elf Zuz, that would take a, that would cost a thousand Zuz, so it would be a huge ox, and he'd take two sides of this huge ox. And he would walk up the ramp to offer them up for like an ola, you know, putting the heel by, of one foot by the toe, up by the big toe of the next. So he'd take tiny little steps. You know, if you're carrying a huge thing, you want to take wider steps so that you have a, what is it, lower center of gravity, you have more stability. He was able to take these two huge sides of a huge, of a huge cow and walk tiny little steps up the ramp. Um, okay, and his brother Kanin did not let him do that. He thought he was like going to be a big shot and show what he could do. And they said, "I'm sorry, you can't do that." The greater number of people is the greater glory to the king, because you might remember our discussions from Yoma about how you would have one, you know, you would not have two, one person taking two sides. Obviously, that would be unrealistic, you know. So the normal, they, they, normally they would divide it amongst more Kohanim. Um, but he wanted to show how strong he was. He wanted to do, you know, this enormous amount all by himself. They did not allow it. They demanded that it be divided appropriately. Anyway, so the much as my mishubachim, in what way were these kohanim who took the oil, you know, greater, stronger? mishum yukra. If it's because the weight that the weight of what they carried was heavier than what he carried, that's not true. Hani yikiri tfei that the um, the uh, size of a huge ox are much weightier than whatever 30 log of uh, oil weighs so Ella's no the difference is Hassam Kevesh Umeruba Velo Zakif there it was a ramp and it was squared meaning like at an angle and not a perpendicular Hachas Tulamot Zakif Tuva here they were ladders and they were very perpendicular so it might be that it weighed less but it was actually much more challenging going almost direct vertically up with that weight than it was walking up a lower a uh, lower inclined uh, ramp. Yes, Charlie. Wasn't Mark about Phytos the wife of Ben, ben Gama, the high priest? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so why didn't it say Ben Gamla's son? That would even be more... Uh, yeah, that's an interesting... Because she was the daughter of a part of Phytos married Joshua Ben Gamla. Yeah, she married Yahushua Ben-Gamla. Oh, maybe. Uh, maybe he was daughter from a previous maybe marriage. Previous maybe she was an Almana. Oh, no, no, that couldn't be. Then she, no, would, be, right. then she would be an Almana, and she could be a Kongado. Maybe it was after the Kongado died, and he was, was a marriage that followed. He was, but Ben-Gamla was very late, very, very late, just a few years before the Corbett. I don't know. You got me. It's a good okay. question. 
Maybe, okay. It's an excellent question. All right. <laughs> it said in the mission there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up from the light of the Simchat Beit HaShoeva. So the Gemara obviously, you know, it was on Harbay, so it was, it was pretty uh, high. Nevertheless, as we said, it does sound like some of this is an exaggeration. Anyway, Tanu is on the Brisa, top of Nun Gimel Amad Aleph. Um, um, a woman would choose out, would uh, be able to, like, you know, select uh, um, grain, um, wheat, um, you know, by the light of the Simchat Beit HaShoirai. So, you know, you could sift your grain and you could find the tiny little, uh, you know, pieces of shaft that you need to throw away. It was such a good light. All right? Chassidim v'anshei ma'aseh. So it says the righteous person and people of acts of, you know, good deeds would, um, the mission goes on to say, what did it say that they would do? They were the ones that would be juggling the, the uh, yeah, they would be the ones that would juggle, that would be dancing and, ju- and juggling the torches and saying words of song and praise. Okay, and then it says, and the Levi'im would be playing the musical instruments. Tanu uh, Rabbanan. Um, we talked about that. Yeshmiyam Omrim, there were those that would say, Asha yildo seinu shalobayshadzikno Praise is our youth that it did not give us shame in our old age. In, so meaning that we were, we were good guys even from when we were young. We were never, we, we were never embarrassed about our deeds of youth. Those are the righteous and those of, of, of good deeds that, you know, were always righteous. The Yezmen Omrim and some of the people that would do the dancing would say, "Asri Ziknotenu praises our old age Shikapra Al Yaldutenu that it atones for our wild youth." And Elu Baalei Chuvas those are those those are those that have uh, have repented, um, people that had a wilder youth and now are and now are righteous. Elu Elu Omrim those and those say, "Asri Mishalo Chata." Praise is the one who has never sinned. Umisha chata, and one who has sinned, Yeshuv Yimcholo, should repent and it will be good for him. Uh, how exactly that fits with the idea of, you know, of uh, but all that being said, it's better never to have sinned. Okay. Now, Tanya, we turn to Braiso. They said about Hillel the old elder. When he would rejoice in the rejoicing of the Simchapet HaShoeva, Amartain, this is what he would say. If I'm here, then everyone is here. Being any kind, and if I'm not here, me gone, then who's here? No one. It sounds a little, it sounds a little arrogant. Um, but we, as we'll see in a minute, he seems to be talking in the divine voice, like representing God. Um, by the way, though, if you just pause for a minute and think about the other famous statement of Hillel, right? What's the statement of Hillel that everybody loves to quote? Right, if I'm not for myself, who'll be for me? But if I'm only for myself, what good am I? So that at least is like a balanced statement. That means like, okay, you have to care about yourself because, you know, you're, at the end of the day, you're the only one who, care, who cares most about you. But you're not only about supposed to care about yourself. What good are you if you're self-serving? You're supposed to be there, you know, care about other people. But this doesn't have the balance. This is just like repeating the same thing in a different way. If I'm here, everyone's here. And if I'm not here, then who needs it? Who cares who else is here? That's like just repeating the same thing. So it's going to seem like he's talking here, basically, as I said, in God's voice. If you take a look at Rashi, uh, three lines from the top. Imanikan hakolkan doreshayel rabim shelo yichtu bishmoshel hakadosh baruch hu. That they um, so he was he was teaching the masses and like in the name of God. He might sort of speaking as if God were speaking. Imanikan hakolkan kozman shani chafetz bebayit hazeh v'shinati shuyabo. As long as I desire this house and my presence dwells in it, yehek vodo kayam yehek vodo kayam. Its glory will remain. And if I'm if I'm here, everybody will come here. But if I depart my, my and, and if you sin in my presence departs, me avokan who will come here. Meaning, so that's actually you know important thing. Here everybody is rejoicing, partying, having a great time. It's easy to like lose sight of the fact that it's not just wow, this is a great place for like everybody to gather. You know, it's uh, but the point of this place is God's presence. Um, it's actually interesting. I think we mentioned this, we mentioned this yesterday. I think we did. Anyway, you know, the role that a show plays, right, going way back, it plays, it played, always played a double function, right? A Beit Knesset, a place of gathering, and like a sort of a Mikdash Ma'at, a place of representing God's place and of prayer and of, sa- and of worship and so on. So here, where really it is, it's, it's the regal. Everybody's gathering. Everybody's partying. You're not even bringing Korbanot. So, you know, it's sort of like he's saying, hey, you know, this is about God's presence. So if I'm here, 
then everybody is here. Everybody comes. If I'm not here, it doesn't matter. Me, I'm like, what's worse than what I even, you, you know, everybody being here? So what matters here is God's presence. Okay. So, Huaya um, Omer, he used to say, Huaya Omer came. He would say the following. Um, where I, the place that I love, there my legs will bring me. Okay? A little interesting. Uh, so, we'll see what that means. Sounds like now he's not talking about God. But let's look at the next line. If you come to my house, I'll come to your house. We have a play date with me, then we'll have a play date with you. But it's not exactly talking about play dates. If you don't come to my house, I won't come to your house. Again, seemingly talking in God's name, not like saying to God, God, if you come to my house, then I'll come visit the base of Mikdash. Presumably it's the opposite point. God is speaking and saying, if you come and visit the base of Mikdash, then I will also bring my presence into your homes. Shana'amar, as the verse says, wherever I call my, cause my name to be mentioned, I will come and bless you. So I will come and bless you in your own homes if you first come to my house. By the way, that plays nicely into the theme of Sukkot, which is about sort of, you know, the Sukkot is the house, but it's also that intersection. The Sukkot both is being the house and the and sort of God's presence on the Nekavod, the Mikdash metaphors and imagery of the Sukkot, so the bringing together of God's house and being in God's presence in God's house, but then also God's presence in our house. Okay, so you come to my house, you have this rejoicing or whatever, then I will also be present for you in your house. What is this issue about the place where I want to go? Okay, so um, so Rashi says, uh, one, one minute, one minute. Okay. Um, okay, fine. So it's not exactly clear what that first part about it was. Um, one imagines that it's somewhat related to the idea of Aliyah Loregio. Right? When it says, right? Where was it? Where was it? That he's probably talking... Otherwise, it just seems irrelevant to the whole point, right? I, I go where I love. But it's talking, presumably, the whole idea of, of where I go and with my regal, that it's first sort of talking in the voice of the Jewish people, that we go, we, you know, our legs bring us to the place that we love. We love bringing it, bring, you know, being, coming here to the base of Mikdash. And then God is responding and sort of saying, well, welcome to my house and if you come to my house I will therefore come onto your, into your houses okay so now he continues um, he saw this is now the one that we know from Pirkei Avot he saw a certain skull that was floating on the water um, and he said to it Oh, Horatio, I knew him well. No, I'm sorry. Because you spilled blood, your blood was spilled. And those that spilled, or, 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 you know, or that you caused another person, not spilled blood, excuse me, Rashi says it means that you caused another skull to float. Your skull was made to float. And those that made your skull float, their skulls will float. Meaning everybody, there's like justice in the world. Okay, and if that, this happened to you, it must be that something happened that you deserved it. Okay, our um, Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Yochanan. Now picking up the um, the the uh, what do you call it? The point about my legs bring me to the place that I love. Um, Rabbi Yochanan has a different type of a twist on this. Our Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Yochanan, Raglowi the Bar Inish, the legs of a person, Inun Arvin Bay, they are his guarantors. The place that he is needed, um, there they bring him. What does this mean? So not necessarily the place, so we'll see, it means in terms of guarantors and ensuring that the debt is paid back. And what debt is paid back? The debt of your life is paid back to God. So this is basically a way of saying that you wind up going to the place you need to go to in order to die. Hanu Tarti Kushai, there were two um, um, Kushim, which Rashi says is, a, is like a euphemism, very, um, whatever, the Gemara's had a, had a uh, Gemara's attitude towards Kushim tend to be negative, and here Rashi claims that it's using it in order to arrange saying that they were very uh, beautiful people, um, but anyway, there is that obvious bias in the Gemara. And it's these two Kushim, the Havikaimi Kamei Shlomo, which are in front of Shlomo. El Yachreth Vachya B'nei Shesha. Okay, that was their names. Um, it's a verse in Malachim. And they are Sofrim de Shlomo. They were Shlomo's scribes. Havu. Yom Achad Chazi Lemalachamavis Tahavi Ka'atzim. One day he saw the angel of death 
Shlomo, so the angel of death, was very sad. Amalei, Amaya Tzivas, why are you so sad? Amalei, this reminds me when I, growing up, I used to read those stories in the uh, Jewish press, you know, in the center page, what are they called? Stories from the Talmud, not something like that. You know those stories? They always had the Shlomo stories. Shlomo talking to the uh, head demon, and Shlomo talking to the angel of death. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. They always had that. Anyway. Okay. So they said, why are you so sad? Because it's, I'm being asked to produce these two kushim. You know, I'm supposed to like imagine like the angel of death there with his, uh, you know, with his sif. And I have to go ahead and take them back to, uh, you know, take them to the grave. The um, Yasri and they're sitting here. Um, so and uh, so to so, so and I'm sad because I need to get to them or whatever. I'm or so I'll have to be taking their lives. So Mishlomo heard this and he wanted to protect them. So Masrinu Lisirim. So he gave them over to the uh, Shadim, um, these uh, Kushim. Shadrinu um, Lemechuzah Deluz, and he sent them to the city of Luz. Kimatu Lemuvviyah. That's a good hideout. That's a safe house. Okay, and also, and in the Gemara Sota, it says that Luz was a place that nobody died, that the angel of death had no dominion over Luz. So he figures, I'll send them there, they'll be safe. Okay, Kimatulim Chuzud Luz, when they came to the city of Luz, so Shechivu, they died like just at the, at the gates of the city, right before they walked into the city. They just missed getting into the safe city. Okay, so Lemachar, So the next day, Shlomo saw the angel of death who was laughing. So, Amalei, my Badichas, why are you laughing? Amalei, or why are you so happy? But also, the boy Minai, the place where I needed to take them, Taman Shadratinu, that's where you sent them to. Thank you very much. I, I, was, I was given a task not just to take their lives, but to take their lives at the outskirts of Luz. And you helped arrange for it. Thank you very much. So, so, um, uh, where were we? Miyad Patach Shlomo Vilamar, therefore Shlomo opened up and said, meaning, you know, opened his mouth and said, so didn't, I bet you didn't know that Shlomo talked Palestinian or whatever, or uh, Babylonian Aramaic. So the legs of a person, Inun Arvin Bey, they are his guarantors, the Asa de Mitzvah, Taman, the place that he is needed to die, Taman, excuse me, Taman Movilin, you say that's where they bring him. Okay, anyway, that was a digression about the statement about Hillel. But it was, again, interesting in Hillel, this whole idea of coming to God's house and God coming to our house and not losing sight of the presence of the Shekhinah, etc. Okay. Tiny, we turn the bright side. They said about Rabbi Shimon When he would rejoice at the rejoicing of the Beit HaShoeva, um, he would take um, eight uh, torches of light uh, or a fire or a flame the Zorik um, um, or is like Ur is a flame so I assume he's a flame eight flaming torches the Zorik Achat Venotel Achat where one catch the next the Eino Gotzu and they wouldn't touch one another they'd be in a perfect circle and uh, not and they and he would juggle them without anyone even hitting into the next and then he did a type of a prostration he Shtachavaya and it would no he'd put his two thumbs on the ground um, not, so not his flat palms but you know imagine trying to do a push up basically with just your thumbs on the ground not the flat of your palms he would put his two thumbs on the ground and he'd bend down and he would kiss the ground again like you know as a flat like again like a type of a push up type of a mode um, and then he'd push himself back up the Inkobir Yecholasos chain, and nobody else can, could do this. Um, I, I see some guys at the gym, I don't know, maybe I think they might be able to. <laughs> anyway, Vizuhi Kida, and this is called Kida, a type of way of prostration, which is obviously extremely difficult. Levi Achvi Kida, Levi demonstrated how to do a Kida. Come to Rebbe in the presence of Rebbe. This was after the base of but he was showing what is this thing called a Kida. Um, the uh, the Ipla, and he became lame. Lane, he so the, he he got you know injured in a in a you know in a in a, in a uh, serious way as a result. So the Gemara says the Hagarma lay is that what caused him to become lame? Vama Rebbe Eliezer doesn't didn't Rebbe Eliezer say Olam al Yatiyah Chadam Dvarim Klapi Mal a person should never cast words to heaven, meaning sort of you know complain to God. There was a great person that cast words against God and he became lame. Umanu Levi and that was Levi. So, uh, so what was the word Gehilia cast against God? If you look at Rashi, he quotes the Gemara in Tanya, his first wide line, 
God, you've taken presents up in heaven and you're not paying attention to what's happening to your children. Of course, there goes all the great Hasidic stories, right? All the great Hasidic stories. Who is it? Rebbe Levi Nibargishev stories, right? Where he would say, you know, where he basically has his complaints to God. What were some of those good ones? He said, God, he says, look, I, what was it? It's like, I know we've done all these sins and we've done all these wrong things, but let me tell you what you've done wrong. <laughs> Let's list all the bad things that happened to the Jews. Tell you what, why don't we just call it even? <laughs> so anyway, all right, so Levy did that apparently and they were not happy with him that he did that and he became lame. Um, so the Gemara says, uh, so isn't that why he became lame? So the Gemara says, uh, wait, wait. So the Gemara says, um, Yeah, they both contributed. Meaning, okay, so he did something that was deserving of punishment, but then he had to actually try had to go ahead and demonstrate this kidon that actually was the proximate cause of him becoming lame. All right. Now, now that we're talking about Levi, Levi having Mitayo coming to Rebbe, Betamni Sakine. So Levi would, um, would sort of be, um, uh, you know, um, um, you know, would sort of like juggle eight knives. Literally, he says he would like walk in front of Rebbe. But Rashi says, "Kamid Rebbe bebeito shayanasi mechavdino tovi samcho." So this isn't simcha space or shoeva, but some type of a similar type of a joy. Now that they did in Rebbe's half, okay, uh, behalf. Um, it's interesting. Rashi says, "Shayidoig tamid b'tzarat Yisrael b'chol yav." Um, so Rebbe was the one whose job it was to worry about Klai Yisrael so Levi was somehow tearing him up and Levi juggled with knives the same Levi who became lame I assume this was before he before he became lame but he was, was sort of certainly liked uh, what was it tempting fate or you know taunting danger anyway the Tamni Sakine ate knives um, Shmuel Kamei Deshwar Malka Betamne Mazgi Chamra Shmuel would juggle with eight cups of eight glasses of wine. Can it possible to juggle a glass of wine without it spilling? Has anybody ever? I seen have never seen that. I mean, people can juggle torches, I know, yeah, and juggle knives, knives, but I don't just understand the physics of how you could juggle a glass of wine without it. Without it. Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. Abaye kame deraba with let's say the tamneya bay eight eggs. I assume raw eggs. That's a little bit safer. Okay, so if you want to try to practice some fancy juggling, don't use knives or torches, eggs will just make a mess. So amile barbarbe, and some would say four eggs, so things are getting a little bit more realistic. You know, it's like you read us Hadoro, so they, it's basically what it is. It goes from fire to knives to eggs, eight to four, so you read us Hadoro. Rabbi, you keep yes. juggling in the yeshiva? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I can do a demonstration of juggling when we would do that, um, our eyes would not see sleep. We'd be up the whole night. Okay? Uh, the first hour of the day, sunrise being the morning shachris. Then time for davening. Then we'd go to be present at the Korban Musaf. Then daven Musaf. Then daven Musaf. Then we would go and we'd uh, spend uh, the afternoon studying. We'd go into the base of Medrash. Misham l'achil or the late morning studying. Then we would eat. Misham... It's quite fascinating, by the way. It doesn't say, Misham l'sukkah. Because if you're eating and drinking, presumably you're doing it in a yeah. sukkah. It is sukkah, but sukkah isn't getting mentioned here. Okay? Misham l'tfilas ha-mincha. Then it's time to daven mincha. Misham l'tfilas ha-mincha. Then it's time for the afternoon korban. Mikam z'eluch. And once the afternoon korban was over, the korbanot of the day was over, the simchot z'eluch z'eluch. We'd start the whole rejoicing of the simchot z'eluch z'eluch, which would last till the next morning, and then we'd do the whole thing all over again. So we would never go to sleep, because then we'd just, you know, we'd, uh, we'd go through the night with the simchot z'eluch says, is that really possible? Um, Amy, is this really true? Rama Rabbi Yochanan, Shavua Shal Ishan Shloshi Yamim, Malkinos of Yashen Lalter. If somebody takes an oath that they won't sleep for seven days, for three days even, you give them lashes because it's a false oath. It's an impossible thing to do to go three days without sleeping, and then you can sleep right away because the oath wasn't binding at all. So even three days is impossible. And here you're talking about, what, five, six days? El Hachikamar, Lotainu Tamshina. We never really had the taste of sleep. You know, I got a little nap. You never really got a good gishmaka sleep in. We would sort of like doze off on one another's shoulders, but we never actually got an opportunity to take a real nap while we were at this time.
Okay. Now, Hamishas Re Ma'alo 15, I was going to see if I could show, demonstrate some juggling for you. So, demonstrate some juggling? In honor of the Simpson Space Tetraeva? I don't know if I can do these, they're different weights. <laughs> All right. If they were the same weight, I could do it better. Thank you, thank you. That's my simple situation. Okay. That I mean, <laughs> you know, clearly rabbis have to learn how to do that, as we can see. All right. So the Gemara continues. Um, all right. So fifteen steps. Um, uh, so there were fifteen steps. You know, from the Ezra Israel to the Ezra Nashim, the Leviim would stand on that steps. Rashi points out that that's not what they would stand with the korban, because that's outside of the Azara, but it was corresponding to the fifteen Shirei Hamalot, and that's where they would stand. Like it says, like you know, you got the band up in front. They're going to be leaving from the front door way over to the east in the Ezra Nashim. This is way over to the west where the Ezra Nashim goes up into Ezra Israel. Okay. So Allah Rav Chiza said to one of the rabbis, the Havi Kamisabmer Agadita Kamei, that was arranging the Agadita in his presence, meaning that was, you know, sort of uh, laying it, it was sort of like uh, quoting, you know, traditional statements of Agadita to be expounded upon. Uh, where were we? Uh, Amalei. Have you heard that these 15 Shirei Hama'alot, what, what do they correspond to? Okay, because here's somebody who really like knows Agatha and he's got a whole storehouse of Agatha, like this was the Barilan before there was a Barilan, you know, some of these people had memorized all this stuff. So he said to him, have you heard a good explanation about what those four, 15 Shirei Hama'alot correspond to? So Amalei, he said to him, "Hachi Amar Reb Yochanan, this is what Reb Yochanan says: B'shash shekara David Shitin. When remember the old uh, the Shitin, those underground caverns, and there were three opinions." One said that they were a natural formation. One said that they were dug. And the third explanation, there weren't underground caverns. It was just a hollow in the base of dust that was where the wine went after it was poured on the altar. But according to the assumption that there were these caverns and that they were dug, here the Gemara is saying that they were dug by David. Okay? So here's what happens. Very famous Gemara. Um, when David dug um, the, the Shittin, Kofa Tahoma, he uh, you know, dug a little too deep. And he broke through to the uh, uh, to the underground uh, depths of uh, of water, um, and they were now coming through the hole that he had dug. You know, and uh, wanted to float the world. You know, he 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 put his shovel a little bit too deep, and all the water is now coming out from way deep down, and now it's going to completely flood the world. Amr David Maalot. David said the fifteen uh, songs of ascent, Vahoridan, and brought them back the water back down to its place. So he said back, if that's true, Maalot, the fifteen Shirei Maalot songs of ascent, your don't need by it should be the fifteen songs of descent. You should be bringing them down, not bring them up. So Amalei, ah, he said back to him, the uh, the the person who had the, was knew the Agatha, hold these karton, yeah, you know, you made me remember something. Hachi Mark, here's the way it was said. Ah, that's a good point. I know I got it wrong. The Shashakari David Shisin, when David dug the Shisin, Kofatahoma, so the the underground depths, you know, uh, floated up, burst forth. Ubay le Mishtafal Alma, and it was about to flood the world. Amar David, David said, Nika the other Ishari le Mishtaf Shane. Is there anybody who knows? whether it's permissible to write the divine name um, Achaspa on a piece of pottery and we'll throw it into the depths and it'll stay there so actually this was like when what was it BP right the, uh, the, 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 they punched it through and the whole thing was how do you get down there with all the oil you know pouring out and co- recover the hole so this is what they were trying to do they should have checked, checked this Gemara Gemara had the answer well, all you have to do is you write God's name on a piece of pottery and you throw it down and it'll find its way to the hole and stop up the hole and that solves the problem. So, of course, it's funny that they say on pottery, right? Because pottery floats, uh, you might say a rock or something. Anyway, um, so Rashi says, Is that true? Pottery sinks? Pottery sinks? Yeah, it's heavier than water. Pottery is heavier than yeah. water? Okay. Yeah. All right, fine. Well, so, I, oh, I guess it's... It's a note here that it was a special shard. Special shard. That was. Yeah, yeah go, w- what? It just says it was a special shard that was weighty? No, no, no. It's, uh, uh, it says. Uh, he suggested using an earthenware shard because earthenware sinks, so that the shard was sinked out to the opening of the deep with a divine name was written on it. Right, right. So what Rashi says is. That's Rashi, but then there's more. Right, right. The shard that David was referring to was not simply any shard. Rather, when excavating the pit, David discovered a shard on which it was written. 
that it was in place since the six days. Yeah, that's Rashi. By removing this shard, David allowed the waters to escape. Right. And they said they wished to... That's why I need another shard. ...because it returned to its place. Right. So that's what Rashi says. Rashi says it wasn't just he dug too deep. I should have mentioned Rashi. It was, you know, they were digging and they said, oh, what's this uh, piece of pottery here that has God's name? Let's take a look. And they lifted it up and then, <laughs> Okay, so, that, so now they knew in order to close it and back down or whatever. I don't know if the original piece of pottery had God's name, but it was there, you know, to close it up, you needed another piece of pottery now to throw down and to close it up. Okay. So, uh, is it allowed though? Because it's God's name. It'll lead to the wearing out of God's name. You know, maybe it's indirect, uh, um, you know, mechikas uh, Hashem. Uh, is it allowed? Umanach, leke dekamer Nobody had an answer for him. Amar David, it's a little funny here because he got a little like kuach nefesh type of thing going on. So David said, kol yadu lemeimer ve'ino omer yechanek beglonot. Anybody who, who, anybody who knows what something to say and isn't saying it, let him be, you know, let, let, let him be strangled in his throat. So, not Sachitov a Kavachomer Vaatmo. Sachitov made a Kavachomer. He said, Umalas was shown in Ishla Isha when it comes to making peace between husband and wife. My name that was written with sanctity should be scraped into the water to test for the, to see if the woman is a sota. So, Lasos Shalom Kola Olam Kulo to make peace in the entire world. How much more so should it be justified? So he says to him, Shari, it's permissible. <laughs> he gives the whole argument. You know, you're in the middle of a little crisis. Just give me the Okay, it's permissible. So, Kosum Shay. By the way, what's also fascinating, though, is that it was only because of, like, this threat that forced, you know, Achitovo to, like, think. Like, oh, I don't know anything. If you don't tell me something, all right, wait, wait, wait. okay, yeah, it's okay. So, you know, sometimes we need a little external stimulus to help get our mind moving. Anyway, of course, the fact that the whole world was about to be flooded wasn't enough of a stimulus. I don't know. Anyway, it's permissible. God wasn't. We were about to. Anyway, it wasn't by rain. I don't know. Anyway, he wrote a name on the divine on a shard. The shard he was home. He threw it into the depths. And the depths went back down. Garmidi, but it went down very very far. It went down sixteen um, um, amot. So Kichazi the Nachis Tuva. Now he went. So when he saw that um, went so far down, so uh, Amar he said, "Come at the midly tefeimirtav. The higher up the depths are, closer to the surface, the more moist the uh, earth is. The more you know. So it's better for the world." Mirtav Alma, the world. Amar Chamesh Me Asrei Malos. He said the fifteen songs of ascent. The Aske Chamisa Alfe Garmidi, and it brought his cause to become back up fifteen out of the sixteen sixteen Amos. For Ukmei Ba'alf, I'm sorry, a thousand. Not just. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I said Amos, thousand Amos. It went down fifteen thousand Amos. 16,000 Alfei Garmidi 1,000 Amot he, he said the 15 th- songs of ascent and it came back up 15,000 Amot the Ugnei Ba'alfei Garmidi and he had kept it 1,000 Amot away from the crust of the earth because you know you don't want it to be too close because then you're going to get a uh, flood concern so he, brought, but, so he brought it up close enough that it should be good for the ground Amar Ula said Ula we see that the depth of the earth is a thousand amot till you hit the tahom, because now that's where the tahom now is, right? That, so there's a, obviously, you know, obviously, clearly what you have here is it's a molten core. You've got the understanding of a liquid core, okay? But you've got your tahom in the middle, which is your liquid core, right? Which is ready to burst forth, and then you have the crust of the earth. So David went down, it's going to all flood, sealed it back up, okay? So then, the point was, though, that it went too far down, and then he brought it back. So now that he brought it back from 16,000 amos to 1,000, he says, you see that the crust of the earth is 1,000 amos, right? Because that's now where the home rests underneath the earth. Okay, so, Shmamina Sumcha Da'ara Alfei Garmidi. So, the Lord says, the Hakachazina and the Harinan Ports of Nafki Maya, but we see that we dig a lot less than 1,000 amot, and we and water comes out. There are wells. You know, we can dig down and get water out of wells, but not a thousand amos. So the Gemara says, "Amra Masharshia, who misuma the pras." That's from like the type of uh, underground uh, channels or uh, arteries that come from the Euphrates, um, and that's but the actual tahom, like the actual core of the tahom, is a thousand amos. 
Okay, Rashi today, Rashi explains what the sum of the prat is. Malot aisui kimichilot shebein mei prat shebein mei prat olim tachas hakarka. So it's like type of uh, veins in the ground that the waters of prat get closer to the, get higher to close to the top of the earth. Vishe prat gavoa mots omaod kidamina bevchoros because the prat is very high. Kolon aros lematami prat. So all rivers are below are below prat. You know, in terms of a uh, of a uh, height from sea level, I guess. Umay mayosi mehar gavo mehar gavoa in derch mitukan lahem olin al har kiyotseba v'lo yoter. And the waters that come from a high mountain, if there's like veins for it to go through, will go up to a similar height. Ha height. So you can dig, uh, you know, uh, you can dig in areas, and you'll get water from underground veins that that carry the water from these rivers. But this is not the waters of the Tahome. The waters of the Tahome are a thousand almost below. Yes. The prop is definitely identified as Euphrates. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Why? Okay, I was I was just wondering yeah. if it's not. Obvious. Yeah, well, I, well the, 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 the letters certainly, and the heart of who who prop, you know, and the huge river. What was the what huge river in the you know in the ancient world was Euphrates? So anyway, I mean or, that was a whole fertile crescent. It might have been the Nile. Mm. That was a big river. No, but the, it was clear that it came from the east, like okay. you know, of Eretz Yisrael. Okay. okay. Anyway, so there's like by review. Okay, the Amdu Kanim B'Shar HaElyon Shiyored, and the Kanim were at the sort of at the opening of the gate that uh, you know at the top of the steps which would lead into the Ezra Yisrael but they were at the top and then they started a procession down the steps through the Ezra Mashim and out the front door and they did it with their tkiya through its blowing of their uh, of their of the trumpet bath so by review when it says they you know went to the tenth step and they did the blast tenth counting from which direction Okay, is it the tenth step from the bottom? They had gone down five steps from the top. Or does it mean that they went down ten steps and there were five steps off from the top? Take you. Well, well, that's one question we will never know the answer to. Rabbi's thought. So now this is, remember, how they turned around right before they left and they said, oh, we're not like our forefathers who had turned their backs to this place. We are only to God and would worship the sun. We are to God and to God is our eyes. So the verse says, this is the verse in Yechezkel, Pnehem Kedma, referring to this sin, that their faces of the people at the time, the first days of Mikdash, where their faces were to the east. Obviously, their backs are to the Heichal, right? Because, uh, you know, the Heichal is to the west. So what does it say? So why did the verse say their face is to the east and their back is to the Heichal, is to God's, uh, you know, house? It doesn't just mean their backs, it means their achor, it means their, it means their you know, their, their uh, rear ends. And that's what they would do is they would un- uncover themselves, expose their rear ends, and they would defecate in the presence, you know, towards God's house. So they would completely, not just worship of Vodazara, but do acts of, you know, of, uh, of, of, of disgrace and defiance, you know, towards God's house. And Anuliyah, but that's, our forefathers, we're redeeming on it. We have, look at what we do. Anuliyah, we are to God, Uliyah, Enenu. Amy, is that real, really true? Uh, that you that you should not say like Shema Yisrael twice. It's like saying Modim twice. It suggests you know a dualism. So how can you say Anuliyah Uliyah Inenu? You're saying God's name like twice in a row. So it sounds like a type of a dualist concern. So this is what they say. Um, they would bow down to the east. And we bow down to God. Um, and then they, they would put a word between the first word of God and the next one. And our eyes, the Yamalachalos, are sort of long for God. So they add another word in between because if Mar does not like the idea that you have two names of God in juxtaposition, it sounds like a type of a, a, type of a concern of dualism. And again, I just repeat the point I made before. It's quite interesting, all of this dialogue that is going on, right? It says when they did the Arava thing, you know, they would say, Yofi Luchamizbeach, Yofi Luchamizbeach. Here they're making, before they leave, they're saying, look how good we are as opposed to what our forefathers were. And, you know, we just had Hillel. Hillel is actually the other side of the dialogue. Hillel is embodying God, as it were, and speaking for God and say, oh, thanks for coming to my house. I'll come to your house. As long as I'm here, everybody's here. So it's fascinating, this whole idea of dialogue that's going on in the context of the base of Mikdash. When do you ever have this before? You know? So something about this idea of sukkahs 
and God's presence and God's presence in our house that somehow is suggesting this much more intimate type of our relationship and this actual dialogue. Quite fascinating. Okay. Mishnah. Now that we mentioned the tekiot that the Kohanim do, we go on to tekiot that the, uh, the general issue of tekiot in the Beit HaMikdash. You have no fewer than 21 tekiyas blasts of the Echatot's throat in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? So, the, every time they would do a tekiyah, it would be tekiyah through a tekiyah. So really it means seven sets of tekiyot. Okay? Because each unit would be, consist of a tekiyah through a tekiyah. So there's no fewer than 21, i.e. seven. The Amos Sivan al Shmona, and there'll be no greater than 48, which is um, i.e. 16. Now, how do you get this? And every day you would have as a, as a basic, the base would be 21. Seven sets. The Mikdash. Show us with Tichat Sharim, three when they opened up the gates and they opened up for business. The Tisha of the time we showed Shachar, nine as they were bringing the um, morning Tamid. Um, um, the t- meaning, so. I'm just going to divide by three because it's easier to think what it would be. The one when they opened up the gates, three sets when they would do the tamid. Now, when, the, when is it when they would do the tamid? If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, when they would pour the wine libation, then we learned before that that's when the Levi'in would sing and do the musical instruments. Um, and there were three breaks in the song, Okay, so that's quite fascinating, the choreography there. The Uvi'im would play the musical instruments, but the Chatzot were for the Kohanim. So in the middle of the singing and the music and all that beautiful thing during the boring of the wine, you'd have a break, you'd have the blowing of trumpets, and then the people would actually go ahead and, and bow down. So it would be a way of getting like more you know, participation. It wouldn't always just be a spectator sport. Like some people love chazanas. For me, it turns davening into a spectator sport. Right? So here you get both. You get like the beautiful whatever, but then you break and everybody you know, bows down. You have the blast and it's a little more participatory. Okay? Uh, now... Um, so that's so you would have three of that during the Tamisha Shachar. So now we have we get, we're up to four sets. The Teisho is Tamisha Bein Similarly, you do the same thing for the afternoon Tamid. So now we're up to um, that's your full. Uh, so that's three more sets. So you're up to seven. That's your total seven sets. So that's your twenty-one. Okay, so that's your standard twenty-one. Ubi Musafim Hayu Mosifim Oteisha. And if you had a Musaf. Then we, you would do because you would have the sh- you, you would have you would have you know another nine because you do also the wine libations at the musaf and the song of Levi'im at the musaf so that would be any time you would have that whole singing along with the korbanot which would be by these you know uh, by these obligatory korbanot you would have uh, the musical instruments and you'd have the breaks by the by the by the okay so normally you get it you get basically when you do the wine libations that come with the communal obligatory korbanot you have the singing and the musical instruments and with the singing and the musical instruments you get these breaks in it by the blowing of the trumpets with the bowing down so a normal day there's one for the opening of the gates three and three is you know for, for the time of Shaka time shall be in or by him and by a time when there's a Musaf there's another three with the Musaf okay yes Siren. So keep on, let's keep on listening. You're the good, good anticipation. Okay? Over uh, Erev Shabbat, so now we're up to, in a normal, like, Yantiv, you would have 24. Okay? Not 24. You'd have 3, 3, 3, 9, 10. You'd have 30. Okay? Over Erev Shabbat, is my dividing by 3 confusing for you? Because uh, no, to me no, it's no. helpful. Okay. Well, okay. well, no, but just, it's easier for me to think about the different yeah. moments, yeah. you know, sets. Okay. So, Over Erev Shabbat, how you must seem sheish. Three, six more, meaning what? Why? Meaning two more sets. So as they were saying, you do three to say it's about to be sunset, so you'd have the blasts, and presumably it would, they would probably be like they, they would do with the torches, you know, one person likes to torch, you know, from the distant mountains. So if they're blowing the blast in the base of Mikdash, there's some relay system that that blast gets communicated throughout the city. Okay, so to let people know it's about to be Shabbos, they would do one. Beshalosh um, and another three or another set. Lahav diobin kodesh when it was not just like 40 minutes before, but when it was two minutes before to indicate that it's about to be Shabbos. 
Okay, interesting use of the phrase lahavdia when you're going from chol into kodesh, but it's the same point to make that separation. Okay, erev shabbat shabbatochachag. So now, if let's say you have the combination of these two circumstances, it was erev shabbat and it was in the middle of Sukkot. So hayusham abeim v'shmona. That's when you could get your full forty-eight, sixteen sets. Let's figure it out. Shalosh b'tichat sa'arim, one for the three, i.e. one set for the opening of the gates. Shalosh b'shar ha'olyon, v'shalosh b'shar ha'techton. Because you would also have now, not just for the opening of the gates in the first thing in the morning, you would also have it for when you're going and the whole procession of walking out to draw the water. So you would do one set when they were at the upper gate, one set when they were at the lower <coughs> gate, right? So here we are, right? Here's the Ezra Yisrael. Here's your step. Oh, I'm going to go fast. I'm going to worse. Okay. Here's your Ezra Nashim. So, right, and the Kohen started here with the trumpet. Here's the upper gate. Anyway, the Levine were standing here. They walked down and did a procession. Then they blew it again here. And they walked this is Shah Halyon, right? Shah Hatakton. They're now going out of the base of Mikdash. Then they go wherever they go to draw the water. And now as they're going to draw the water, right, as they're going to draw the water, they do another set of shofar blasts, okay? So they do a whole procession, okay? So, shalosh v'shar yom, shalosh v'shar tachton, shalosh v'min v'hamayim, three when they drew the water, shalosh v'kabayim v'zveach, and three when they poured the water, accompanying the actual uh, pouring of the water. And then you have the Tamids, the three sets, by, you know, nine, three sets by and the Musaf. And Shalosh plus one blood, if it's also Erev Shabbos, then you have three more to warn people to stop doing Malacha. And the Shalosh and three ones about to be Shabbos, to distinguish. So let's see if we count that in terms of individual units, okay? We got one unit when we open up the gates, one here, when they start the procession, so three here, start the procession, go out the door, do the filling, so that's four. Then they're going to do one unit when they pour the water, that's five, okay? Then they're going to do three units of the three different korbanot, tamishel shachar musaf, tamishel bein harbayim, that's nine, that's fourteen. And then because it's Erev Shabbat, they're going to do one to warn the people to stop doing mulacha, one when it's actually about to be Shabbat, that's sixteen, sixteen times three is forty-eight. There you go. Now, of course, what's interesting is, you know what it doesn't mention? It doesn't mention the, um, the tkiya, the two tkiya that they, that, that it says that they did when they did the, um, when they did the, uh, arava. Right? It says they did Tkiyah to Tkiyah when they did the Arava, didn't it? That's what I remembered. So, I don't know. That was in the... Uh, anyway, we can go check. I'm pretty sure it said that. Mitzvah Arava Kesad. Yeah. And it says, after they stuck it by the side of the altar, Tiku Vihiriu Vitiku. So, if Hoshana Rabbah fell out on this day of Erev Shabbos, that would get you... I don't know why. You'd get three more. Okay. Anyway, okay. But so, so, have to be Okay. So, now the Mugrash has the following. Masnisin... The low Kirebi, the low Kirebi Huda, our mission is not like Rebuda, at the time we turn to Braista, Rebuda Omer, Hapoches lo Yifchos mi Sheva, the Amosif lo Yosif Asheshesrei. So he says that there's a minimum of seven and a maximum of sixteen. So he did the counting the way I was doing because it, it makes it easier. Yeah. The units, counting eight unit as one, that is three. But the Gemara understands that it's not just a counting, it's not just a, a, a label, there's actually a real difference between them. But my community, what's the debate? The that's one unit. That they're separate units. Okay, now, the real issue here is, could be a question of whether you take a breath between the tkia through tkia or not. Meaning, not just, are you going to, out of convenience, count it one or count it three, but how many real distinct sounds are you going to make? Sep- you know, separate sounds are you going to make? My time is Yudah. What's the reason of Yudah? Amakra was katem tru'ah. And then there's a question on the side. It says, Alma tru'ah v'tkia achasi. If he uses the verb, blow a tru'ah, but the verb is tkia, you see that it's one unit. It has to all be one unit. Rabbanan and the rabbis would say, No, it's telling you it's kia perceives a trua, but it's not telling you it's one unit. Um, okay, 
of Rabbana and Maitamai, where do the rabbis get an idea that they're distinct units? So the Torah allows for a phenomenon of a tkiya independent of a trua. So you see it exists as an independent sound. The if you think it's basically one sound, so I mean not one sound like it's the same it's the same it's the same sound throughout, but it's there's no there's no you know, there's no break between the sounds. So um um how could the Torah say to a half of a note and not a full note? So if it's a one unit, one sound, you know, with uninterrupted sound, how would the Torah say do the first half of it? Obviously, it's distinct, and even when you do tzkia you have a break between the sounds. Reb Yehuda, and Reb Yehuda would say, yeah, the Torah could say half a sound. That's just as a way of getting people's attention, right? To gather people together. So it's not a, it's not a halachically like a, a unit, a sound unit. It's a half a sound, fine, but we can do a half sound. That doesn't bother me. Rabbanan, Simonu, fine, we're doing it as a, as a way of uh, getting people's attention, but Rachmana Shavya Mitzvah. But the Torah said, fine, but this is the way you get people's attention, is you do this sound, so that means that this sound has some independent standing. Okay, so again, it's clear, according to the emphasis of Gemara Puss, it's not just a question of numbering, it's a question about do you take breaks between them, do you make it into, or is it conceptually one sound, or is it conceptually distinct sound? Um, so let's just, and now let's just end it with this last line. Who is going like the statement of Rav Kahana? You don't take any, there's absolutely no pause between a tzki and a trua. Come on, to Rabbi Yehuda. That's going like Rabbi Yehuda, because that's exactly his point. That's all one sound. Pshita said the Gemara, obviously. No. I might have thought a field to Rabbana. Maybe go like the rabbis. Um, but, and it's coming to reject Reb Yochanan. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's, um, that there's no pause between them. What it means is, is what they're trying to say is something different. They're trying to reject Reb Yochanan. He says, on Rosh Hashanah, if you hear the ninth kiyot, Right? Because minimally we know if we knew what a trua was, you would be enough to have, you know, three sets of tkia through tkia. And if you were at each one in a different hour, you'd be yotze. So obviously that's like a big, you know, it's one thing to say you have to do it as tkia through tkia without a break at all. It's another thing to say, no, you have a break, but you, not only do you have a break, but you can actually hear them an hour apart from one another. So maybe when it says don't break between Tkiya Trua, it's not saying like Rabbi Yehuda that you do it literally without a break. What it's trying to say is you can't have a huge break between them. So Kamash Malan. So, this, so therefore, so maybe the, so therefore we're telling you no. This statement of no interruption is Rabbi Yehuda's statement. It's not the way the rabbis would argue and say you know you don't need that you're not allowed to have a huge break. So the Gemara says, Eima hachinami. No, maybe that, that was a good point. Maybe that is what they're saying. Maybe they're saying, don't have a huge break between them. Uh, but maybe it's not saying you can't have any break. No, the says, In kein, my below klum. So no, then it would just say, don't break. But it says, don't break below klum. There can be no break, not even the tiniest break. So you see that is the Rebbe Yehuda position. So there are three logical positions. Rebbe Yehuda says it's all basically halachically one sound and you don't even pause between tzkiah and tzkiah and tzkiah. You have the rabbis that say they're distinct sounds and you have a break, a moment's pause between them. But maybe still they have to be in tight juxtaposition. Exactly how tight is not clear. And then you have the statement of Yochanan that takes it to an extreme says if they're distinct sounds they don't even have to be a group of sounds. They could be nine at nine different days. Uh, nine different hours so it's basically is it one sound is it three sounds but a grouping and they would have to be tightly juxtaposed or is it mamish distinct sounds and could be over you know many hours of the day okay and we finish